0: Dick Reveal, Michelle Smallman, Randy Character, and Coach, it's great to have you with us. Thanks for stopping by.
1: Oh, Always well, great to be with you. We sh- shared a number of fun shows.
0: Yeah, we sure have. And uh, let's talk about that play. That happened, like, right in front of you. Mm-hmm. What, what are your strongest memories of that particular play?
1: About 40 seconds before it happened, or a play before it happened, I'm talking to Mike, and I said, Mike, I'm lying right up here in the sideline, and this corner's only five or six yards off. Isaac. And I don't see any safety. I don't think he can be He I can give him, give go after him, and he did. He went nine ninety nine as he said, and you know, there it goes. And I saw it happen, you know. And then I, but I also saw Kurt going down. So I was like this, and I I wasn't sure what was going to happen down in that end.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. And. Obviously, a great adjustment by a great football player. I want to go back to the beginning, though, because there's people now that are driving down the road, and they don't remember 97 and 98. Mm -hmm. And your start with Isaac wasn't all roses, was it?
1: Wasn't roses with anybody. (laughs) They had never worked like we worked. And that wasn't Isaac's complete. Isaac had hamstring problems. Mm -hmm. You know, he only played five games the year before. So him coming into the 99 season, I have two first-round picks now playing. I have uh, Isaac Brooks back healthy playing, Tori Holt a first-round pick playing, you know Marshall Folk a first-round pick playing. Uh, I have uh, uh, Mike Martz first-round pick coach, <laughs> coaching Al Saunders first-round pick coach coaching. I mind I, and John Mac, you know Masco and Dana Leduc. I had about six or seven first-round picks that all of a sudden, you know, and I think they all really capitalized. And Mike put it nicely a few times. I've heard him say, you know, the table was set. Mm-hmm. Let's go. Let's go serve the meal, and uh, no one did it any better than Mike did.
2: Was there ever a time that Mike would present a play to you, and you thought that's just too crazy? Because we know he he came up with so many brilliant things. But were you ever like, I don't know if this no. one's going to work?
1: <laughs> no, uh, not at all. You know, uh, uh, there, you see more crazy things in the game today than you saw on that offense at that time. There are, you know, not many fluke type plays. They're well designed a scheme that uh, I was familiar with. I've started in that scheme. Uh, myself at the Ram, I mean, at the Eagles a long time ago. You know, the mechanics derived from Don Coriel's schemes, the number systems and all that kind of stuff. And I was close to that system because Rod Dahlhauer, came from San Diego State and Don Correale with me to UC, to UCLA's. Uh-huh. So I was familiar with it, and then uh, I stayed with it myself and grew. And then I'm out of coaching for 14 years, and I come back. And, and Jerry Rome was my first offensive coordinator. He came out of the same scheme. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when Mike took over, it, it wasn't a, uh, a startling change. It was a, a lot of brilliant changes, and we had a lot more talent. And we had ch- changed up. How we were practicing a little bit, we took a little heat off them because we had really pushed them the first two years, and uh, uh, probably lot left some effort, some uh, on the field, practice field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it all paid off that third year.
0: How difficult was that for you? Because you were you did three a days in Philadelphia, right? Mm. You, you not really.
1: No, but they were <laughs> long practices. <so> you <laughs> but, put them uh, to so, all day. So
0: that that was your nature, though, was yeah. to 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 work them hard. To to pull back a little bit, w- was that hard for you?
1: Uh, you know, a, a little bit. You know, my confidence level, I never wanted to get in a position where I was trying to outsmart somebody. But I always felt we could outwork them. You don't outsmart Tom Landry and those kind of people, George Allens and Don Shulas and Bud Grants at that vintage. You know, George, you know, you just didn't. But I felt young, uh, you know, younger, maybe more a little more intense and enthusiastic, a little passionate at that age. Maybe by working hard we could catch up because – At the Eagles, we didn't have a first or second or third-round pick the first two years, and we didn't have a first and second the third year. So the only way we were going to get better is develop those people we had on the field. And to do that, uh, you had to stay on the field. So I didn't do it the old-fashioned pro football way, which I had worked in pro football with, you know, three different head coaches, so I knew how they normally did it. Uh We just did it. We decided after we got going we couldn't do it that way, and so we just, just uh, decided to, to work a lot harder and longer.
0: I remember watching the precision with which Al Saunders had your guys, your wide receivers go through drills, Isaac, Tory, Oz, yeah. Ricky, uh, Tony Horn. And those guys really bought in, didn't mm-hmm. they? That group yeah. of receivers really bought into trying to be perfect. Yeah.
1: Well, Al Saunders is a perfect football coach. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a Hall of Fame assistant coach like Mike Martz is. You know, and, uh, I had so many great people with me, but uh, – Al Saunders is very special, and I've known him for a long time. I watched him in many, many training camps at the Chiefs because I did broadcast their preseason games. So I'd always go to training camp for four or five days and really get caught up and watch Al coach. And he's a San Jose State alum. I'm a San Jose State alum. So we've been friends forever. And, uh, yeah, there's no better football coach. And that's he did a great job. He did. He was my Mark Martz at in Kansas City.
0: Right, yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. you've pushed a lot of hall of famers and right before we came on air you said you know what a hall of famer looks like at almost every position so we're here to celebrate Isaac Bruce through your eyes what makes Isaac Bruce a hall of famer
1: well first is innate athleticism his fluidness in his body his work ethic you know uh, he's you know he's a junior college two junior college guys you know and then on to college on in the NFL and his ability to run all these different things but worked to try to make it harder on me so i catch that one and he would he would poorly position his body to catch a ball on purpose so he was working on techniques that weren't uh worked on how do you don't teach someone to catch a ball poorly you know? yeah yeah but he he put himself in position to catch difficult balls on purpose and you know it, it, people would say he was not a big physical guy but mike true concept of a wide receiver is uh, a guy, he's not supposed to be in a crowd. <laughs> you know, if he's really good, he doesn't have to catch the ball in a crowd. He separates, and he could really separate, and he could relocate as he did on 999. Yeah. He could relocate the ball. He could take his eyes off it of here and look over here and then catch it. Uh, all those different things, that, uh, but in his hands. you know, and, uh, you know it, all, it all goes down to, hey, when, when you're one of 15 kids, you learn to survive. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> he was number 13 out of 15 he learned yeah. to survive okay so uh he's you know he belonged in the hall of fame and he's here and tory huddle
0: will be next yeah dick vermil is with us character and smallman from canton on 101 espn and coach let's go back to that 49er week the rams had lost to the 49ers 17 times in a row isaac had lost to them eight times in a row and especially that group that had come from L.A. It was DeMarco, it was Isaac, it was Jay Williams, it was Keith Lyle, it was Todd Light. They were kind of tired of losing to the 49ers, and they knew they had a great chance to beat them that Mm -hmm, week, right?
1: Right. Yeah, well, you know, we knew going into the season we were going to be a good football team. We didn't know we were going to be a great football team. But once we got going and, and Kurt did what he did, you know, no quarterback in the history of the league has ever done what Kurt did those first five weeks of the season. You can look at any stats you want. No one has ever done that. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, in that 49er game, you know, at the end of the first quarter, we're up 21 to nothing. And he's got
0: all your touchdowns. <laughs> all your touchdowns, yeah. And I,
1: I, I can remember saying to J- Jim Hennepin, God bless Jim Hennepin, uh, uh, when Kurt threw that third pass, I said, Jim, this kid can play. <laughs> Just like that, that exact same terms. And it's on one of the highlight films that I've seen a few yeah. times. So, you know, that from then, and I can remember – That Monday, and I've told this story many times, it's a truth, going into the squad meeting because I always took the meeting initially as a team on on Monday, and uh, I I said, you know something, guys, you played extremely well, and I I want you to know something. There's only one team in the National Football League that can beat this football team, and fortunately for us, they're all sitting in this room. (laughs) And if we do what we have the ability to do in this room, Maintain the same focus, our work ethic, our concentration. Don't get arrogant, you know. Don't become. Play, play. We'll win it all. It's exact. But I said I don't want to hear this on radio. I don't want to see it in the newspaper or in a magazine. And I don't think anyone ever repeated it. No. The, the, we saw, That's how. I've never been more confident of a football team than at that time.
2: How much pressure did you feel heading into that season? Because you haven't, you hadn't had the success that you had hoped heading into that. You knew that you had this great collection of talent and that you guys could be really good. Were you thinking about the pressure?
1: You know, not really. I think football coaches expect to get fired. You know, coming into this season, there have been 494 coaches in the National Football League that carried the title head football coach. That includes the guys that uh, were interim coaches, so it's a little distorted. 29.8% of them fired after the first year. Wow. So, you, you know, you go into coaching, you know, probably not going to last. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I, I wasn't thinking that. I just knew. In fact, I told John Shaw in the offseason before going to camp. I brought him in, put him in the offensive staff room and showed him some video. I said, this is going to be a good football team. John says, uh, Coach, I don't want to hear that. I've been told that so many times. <laughs> but, you know, when you've seen it, done it, been there, and I watched this team go, and I listened to their bitches and moanings and all the sarcastic remarks, that, uh, uh, absorbed the criticism. I just felt this was going to be a good football team. No way you could predict at that time you were going to be a world champion. But we were going to be a tough football team to beat because they were mentally and physically tougher than most teams we played. Because they,
0: no one was working like we were working at that time. And, Coach, one of the... One of the things that's seared into my brain, and it will be for the rest of my life, is Isaac pounding on the turf right on top of the Rams logo at midfield when Trent Green went down. I can down. remember it.
1: I visualize that every once in a while. I yep. see it. Yeah. When I th- Sometimes I mention Isaac Bruce in my own mind just driving somewhere, and I'll see that scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I felt just as bad. I felt just as bad. Uh, selfishly for the team, and, uh, and independently, I felt so bad for Trent Green. Yeah. You talk about. And I'm, I know him better today, okay? I probably know him be- as well or, or better than any player I've ever coached, okay, because we've maintained a lifelong re- relationship since that time. And uh, I just how he handled that was unbelievable. That's, hey, we gave up a first-round pick to bring him to Kansas City. So, right. So I loved him. But okay? it, it
0: was here's a guy, and we had a guy that uh, was in St. Louis, Pat Maroon, grew up in St. Louis. Scored a huge goal to move the Blues on in the playoffs, and he's a huge part of the Blues winning a Stanley Cup. That's what Trent Green could have been in St. Louis. He he could have been the hometown hero and missed that opportunity.
1: Yeah. But, you know, people ask me all the time, what do you, how good do you think you would have been uh, if it had been Trent as the quarterback? I know he wouldn't be Kurt Warner. They're different. They're different. But I have such confidence in Mike Martz and Al Saunders and Jim Anif and, and a little bit myself that we would have taken advantage of the things that he could do, maybe a little better than Kurt. You know, but uh, there's only one Kurt Warner throwing the football. You know, there was only one of those. And Trent wasn't far off it. And there were certain things he could really do well. And I, I we might have run the ball a little bit more. You know, you never know. But I, I felt we would have been every bit as successful.
2: There's obviously so much talent on that team. But it's amazing as we visit with so many members of the Greatest Show on Turf what great people they are. Is that something that you cared about or were conscious of when you were assembling the team? That you wanted to have somebody that had a certain mentality in addition to the skill set?
1: Definitely 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 okay i'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist but you know having had the opportunity to coach high school football junior college football college football then in the nfl i knew what i wanted i knew i had seen so many different kinds of profiles with athletic athletic talent not reach their maximum not not really reach their potential and one of the reasons were they weren't. Uh, they didn't have the mindset it would take for them to become what they had the ability to be. So I, I tried to put that combination in my evaluation all the time. And at the Rams, yeah, how could you have a better personnel department? Hey, you know, Charlie Army, John Becker, those guys work. Nobody in the history that I've ever been around the league had a better system of evaluating College prospects that Charlie Armor and John Becker working together. They were Carol, my wife used to come in and sit in and, and in the back of the room and listen to the explanations on the board. She says, I think I could make the draft correct after listening to all this and, and stay in discipline to your preparations. Don't get all of a sudden, you know, go off the board. Uh, Charlie was amazing.
0: And Dick <laughs> Ann Morgan, who worked the front desk forever oh, at, uh, at Rams Park, I was talking to her, to her a couple of weeks ago, and she said, "You know, there were some guys over the many years that she was there that you worry about what they're going to, what's going to happen with them after they're done." But I never worried about the guys from that era, and they've all succeeded. Oh, and yeah. and that's part of the plan, isn't it?
1: Well, they, they've done. You know, we, they've all had issues. They yeah, have yeah. I had my issues? You know, we all have. But uh, no, they were. Uh, and what's really fun is to see them when they're all together like we're going to see them uh-huh. this week. Uh, there'll be a number of them here, I'm sure. And uh, it'll be fun to see them together. You know, if they get me around a table over a beer late <laughs> at night, the first thing they talk about is those first two years of training. Yeah, oh, right. Man. Coach, We thought you were crazy? <laughs> I was crazy. But, you know, sometimes you got to build a team, then you got to develop it. And the only way you can do that is have a great personnel department to help you build it and don't – Think because you're head football coach, you gotta you've gotta listen as well, and utilize them, and then you gotta have a plan to develop what you have, and then you gotta coach it, then you gotta coach it. And I was fortunate that my staff, my organization, and my support of John and Jay, uh, made it happen. They they allowed it to happen. Today it doesn't happen that as easily.
0: Well, and, and it's it, it's a shame because I've told Michelle, and I, I don't know if she ever gets tired of it, but. There's a couple of times a week where I will bring up something that I learned from Dick Vermeule, whether it's in a press conference. And I know you talk to a lot of corporate leaders. And, and as you say, it's really not that difficult. You can boil it down, right? You bet. Just yeah. surround yourself with great people. Yeah. Let them do their job. Tell them you love them. Motivate them, and yeah. you're going to succeed.
1: Yeah. Hard work's not a form of punishment. No. There's a lot of people, especially today. There's a lot of young people that think it. They're, I read the paper now following them. all training camps are open. They talk about how hard they work. It's like, look, you go to practice, it looks like Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> you know, they're, they're creating their own injury problems because they're not compared. Football is not a contact sport. It's a combat sport. Just stop and think about it. That nose guard on that center, that's not contact. Dancing's contact. Uh-huh. That's combat. You know, and uh, you have to prepare him for that.
0: You can't ease into a street fight.
1: No. Hey, you know, I, I use this in Philadelphia. I was there seven, uh, seven years in Philadelphia. Last year was a disaster for Philadelphia offensive linemen. One player played all year. The rest of them. So three of them missed the whole season. The whole season? Yeah. Okay. Seven years I had three offensive linemen. Missed three games between them. In seven years. Harold Carmichael never missed a game. Mm-hmm. But you, you – I think you physically prepared them better for what that's going to be like on Sunday.
0: Yeah, if, if you're going to play football, you have to practice playing football. But yes. <laughs> that
1: doesn't mean you have to beat the hell out no, of them just to right. do that. But you can you control the things that help them get better, closer to the environment they're going to play in on Sunday. Yeah. The body develops, I, I really believe this, a lot of self-preservation instincts uh, that can carry over to game
0: day. Yeah. They really do. Hey, before we let you go, aside from the iconic moment that we talked about off the top with Isaac's catch in the Super Bowl. For you, what was Isaac Bruce's Hall of Fame moment?
1: Oh, geez, I don't know. Uh, I I think, uh, boy, that's, you know, uh, I would say you'd have to go to that first quarter of the the game against the 49ers, you know, how many? Wide receivers have three touchdowns in the first quarter against a former playoff football team. Yeah. No, they weren't. The 49ers, like you said, seven teams. That, and I don't know if I've ever seen, I probably have, a player mature as a person, as defining what he's going to want to be and work toward it physically, emotionally, technically, skill-wise, and everything, as I have seen you talk to Isaac Bruce today, he's a lot different than talking to him in 1997 or 1998 or 1999. He's a different guy. And that doesn't mean any negative, but, you know, there's, there's no correlation between maturity and age. Right? right? And there's no correlation in the pace it takes. I've seen it, and I've, I've, I've seen him go just like that. In his overall ability to, to express himself with you on the radio or with me on the phone or just the warmth he generates as a person. You know, that, that wasn't automatic to him. He learned to do that in a, in a, in a tremendous
0: Hall of Fame way. Yeah. Hey, one last thing, and we'd be remiss if we didn't ask, because when I give gifts to people, I go to com well, And everybody that I talk to that is more of a wine drinker than I am, and I, even I, I went to your tastings, I love your wine, but I'm just not a regular wine drinker. But everybody I know that's a wine drinker loves Vermeil Wines. Yeah. and. You were telling me that things are going well. Yeah,
1: it's the first time ever. We've been in 13 years. This is the first year we've ever been in the black for 13 years. No capital calls. And the two money guys in our business, I own 12.5%, are very close and they aren't going to let me fail. Okay, so they, they never said, let's close this thing down, we're losing money. We just said, let's keep making better wine. Uh-huh. And uh, I have a Mike March coordinating the winemaking. And Thomas Rivers Brown makes me look pretty smart, doesn't it? But that's what you're supposed to do as a leader, right?
0: Yeah. Hire good people. Right.
1: And they either either delegate and and work with them or designate and let them do it. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, Thomas Brown and Andy Jones do a great job. The grapes come from the same vineyard that my great-grandfather owned many, many years ago. He owned a portion of it. And uh, so if you get good grapes and have good people handling and a little luck, you're going to be good. Right now we have... For 2020 we have no red grapes because they got the whole crop got ruined in the wildfire in the forest fire yeah oh, man. smoke damage didn't burn the vine just ruined the grapes so we won't have any red grapes of the 2020 vintage okay
0: yeah. if Dick and Carol Vermeil are celebrating the, the biggest celebration what do you pick what what Vermeil wine do you choose
1: I take the now I take the Rosedale block Cabernet the Rosedale block we hit six rows of it it's along the Rosedale Avenue, a little one-and-a-half-lane fave road right next to now Four Seasons. Four Seasons just built a big, huge hotel spa. I'm serious. A yeah, dirt road between that and the vineyard. But anyway, that one, it's 100% cab. And our winemakers love the Tarawa, the soil, and that specific. You know, you can make a first down in that vineyard, and the, the ground is different. Oh, wow. yeah, yeah, really. It's amazing. It's amazing, and they feel that Tarawa, that ground, that what the mixture of soil and rock combination closer to the Palisade mountainside, is the best uh, grape uh, that can be produced in that vineyard. And he says he can produce a 100-rated Cabernet with these grapes. And there's a lot of variables, you know, the season. We had that's been a 96 and a 95 in the last two grades. Yeah,
0: wow, fantastic. Uh, We can't thank you enough for what you've brought to St. Louis. What you do for us on an everyday basis what you've taught me and i try to oh, pass you. along to young thank people you. i
1: appreciate that compliment
0: and uh thank you so much for stopping by and taking some time with us this morning we really do appreciate it always oh, fun to go back to st louis believe me <laughs> that's the best <laughs> thank you. We, we love you coach that's, thank you uh to coach dick for meal on 101 espn anyone else have trouble sleeping last night and the night before that same and i've tried everything but it either doesn't help me sleep so i'm cranky and tired the next day Or I sleep and then I'm drowsy the next day. Luckily, Seize the Night and Day is here. Go to SeizeTheNightAndDay.com to learn more about insomnia and how you can seize the night. And Carpe the Diem. Make their mission your mission. Because they will not rest until we all rest. Let me guess. Unknown caller? You could reduce the number of unwanted calls and emails with online privacy protection. The latest innovation from Discover. will help
1: regularly remove your personal info, like your name and address, from 10 popular people
0: search websites that could sell your data. And we'll do it for free. Activate in the Discover app. See terms and learn more at discover.com slash online privacy protection.